0: Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, head to isuencounter.org or download our student app to learn about all that's happening here. Thanks for listening. Hey everybody, it is awesome to be with you all and I'm excited about what God has for us for this weekend. Our theme is Living the Gospel in the Gray and so to really separate that out into two parts, Living the Gospel is this kind of adventure that Jesus is calling us into and it is an adventure to to mimic what we're seeing of him, not just in the Gospels, but as he continues to move right in and through and around us. And so it involves mission, it involves evangelism, it involves service and justice and compassion and living life and basically being the church where we are for the sake of the world. It's coming alongside others to embody and to demonstrate and to proclaim his kingdom. What a privilege that is. To not just read the gospel, but to actually live the gospel. So we're going to dive into that a bit. And then the second part is in the gray. And in the gray is, represents this kind of uh, the liminal spaces. It represents the neutral ground, life in the margins. It's the context that we find ourselves in, the place we find ourselves. It's not just in the space outside of the church, but it's what's going on in those spaces. Whether we're talking academia or um, vocational or family, it is life in the midst of culture with all of the paradox and the nuance and the shifting norms. And so we want to look at what it means to actually live out this gospel in places where culturally um, we... uh, we want to approach it relationally, conversationally, experientially. Okay, so we're going to have four sessions together this weekend, and in each session, sorry about. Do I need to adjust this microphone, Austin? Awesome. Are you? I keep hearing my my uh, <coughs> the brushing of <laughs> microphone against something. Um, hi. What's your name? George. Hi, George. Thank you. Thanks. George, ladies and gentlemen. In each of these sessions, we want to ask some questions. And I, I love it the fact that Jesus asked over 300 questions throughout the Gospels and it wasn't just that he asked a lot of questions but the kind of questions that he asked questions like what do you want <laughs> what what are people saying about me right do you want to get well um, so we want to ask the kind of questions that Jesus asked. and so we're going to go with these four what's your story what's your context um what's your what's your posture what what does love require? And then the last one is, what's Jesus up to? What's the process as we, as we leave? So we want to look at some questions throughout the weekend. We want to look at some scripture, not just because it's a, a ministry retreat. What's it mean for us to not just read scripture, but to allow scripture to read us? to really allow the Holy Spirit stretch us and challenge us and encourage us to the pages of Scripture. If discipleship is as simple as listening and responding, then what is Spirit saying? And what are we going to do with it? And then um, I know you've been in class and labs and lectures all week, and so the last thing I want to do is add to that misery. But I do, do want to do a little teaching. I do want to share some things that I think the Lord's laid on. My preference would be um, conversation over a really good cup of coffee, but that's hard to do with a couple hundred people. And so um, because of that, we're actually going to have some times of discussion after most of these sessions. And in these times of discussion, there'll be times like breakout sessions in, in smaller groups. And those are times to, um, Not for someone to dominate the conversation and and just reteach everything, um, but it is a time to really process together. What is God stirring in us? What are the questions that keep coming up? Uh, Let me let me say one more thing. This is all the intro, right? Uh, About that. When we get together in small groups. Ben asked me a couple of months ago to really focus, kind of make this an, an equipping time together, and uh, that doesn't mean that we're just wanting to gloss over what we're bringing. Okay, um, I know that I know for a fact that a lot of you are carrying stuff as you come into these doors, and so <clears throat> as we get into small groups. Um, we're going to kind of unpack what God's stirring in the midst of what we're talking about, but hopefully there's some other times to really unpack if you need to have somebody pray with you. Uh, the prayer pillar, which I, when he said that, I thought it was a prayer pillow, and so uh, that's very different, very, very different. Uh, prayer pillar, that's how they say pillow in Oklahoma. Put your head down on that pillar. Uh, But that is available for us to to write our prayers. But can we also communicate our prayers to one another? And then we'll we'll have some times of reflection as well. Okay? So that's where we're going. You good? All right. I want to start with two questions before we get to the real question. And the first question is the first question that God asks in the Old Testament. And the second question is the first question that Jesus asked in the New Testament. How cool is that? First words out of God's mouth to humans was, were these words. <clears throat> where are you? I'm sure he said a lot of words because they hung out every day. But the ones that are recorded are, where are you? And that's after the crunch of the fruit, right? That is a question of how are you coming in? How's your heart? If you had this red dot that said, you are here, where is that red dot tonight? Okay? That's the first question. Second question is the first question that Jesus asked the disciples. And they're not disciples yet. They're, they're just curious. And they're following him up the beach. And he turns around and he says, what do you want? And it wasn't like, what do you want? You know, it was like curious, what what do you really want? What are you looking for? What do you hope for? What are you searching for? What's your longing? What's your desire for this weekend? So I would love for you, just in groups of three, to kind of where you are. I don't know if you can move your chairs around, just kind of turn around. And lean in, because there's a lot of people in a small space, to, so you can hear each other. But we're going to take 10 minutes total, okay? So not a lot of time to make sure we hear from each person in your triad those, those two questions. How are you coming in? Where are you? And what do you want? What do you desire for this weekend? Got it? Yes. Go. Thank you all for sharing those things with each other. I, um, anytime that we do any sort of conversation, discussion, reflection together, you need to know that you have complete agency, right? You can share what you want to share. Um, I, I do, do know that this is a safe place. Do you know that these are safe people? But do know also that our stories are tender. Our stories, um, there are layers upon layers upon layers. And so so feel the freedom to share what you want to share. Also, my prayer is that we can be stretched a bit this weekend to really allow um, the Holy Spirit to, to reframe and, and reshape some things. Um, specifically in this paradigm around mission and evangelism, okay? So uh, there might be some things that I say that you're just like, nah, I don't think that's right. So come talk to me about it or just just talk to Ben Miller. Just just go to him and George, as you know him, will take care of that. Okay. Um, Here's a question that, uh, I think I've been asking this question for about 40 years, and I don't recall anyone in 40 years ever saying, um, ever re- replying, I, I, I don't want to tell you. I don't want to respond to that. And the question is, what's your story? Every time I've asked that, 40 years, I've always gotten a reply. Psychoanalyze that however you want. People want to talk about themselves, but I think it is this really, really beautiful thing that that we all carry our stories, and that is an, not just a. We're not talking about not talking about an evangelism tool of tell me your story as a way to bait and switch, but can we actually care about one another's stories? I was on uh, a plane coming back from England and uh, sitting on my left was uh, this 20-something young woman who had uh, dyed bright red hair and tattoos and chains and leather boots and um, just, just interesting, you know, kind of punk rock, angst, and uh, and so sitting on my right was this complete opposite. It was this uh, 40-something-year-old man who had a three-piece suit and just, you know, really polished. And So I started with her. I said, hey, can you tell me your story? She goes, yeah, I've been... Living in Dublin for the last two years, working with addicts for youth with a mission. And the guy on my right says, You're a Christian? Like, leans over me. You're a Christian? And she goes, Yeah, are you? He goes, Well, yeah. And she said, Well, cool. And then I just sat back and they had this two hour conversation, you know. What's your story? Usually when we get together, in, even in retreats like this, we start with, you know, what's your name, what's your major, uh, where are you from, what's your favorite Taylor Swift era, you know, those kinds of questions, evermore, definitely, but whatever. Can we go a little bit deeper with the questions this weekend? It's like, what has shaped your story? What has been formative In your life? What experiences and traumas have shaped the story that you are presently living because um, our past doesn't stay in the past? What is God up to in your life? How does your story fit into God's epic story? And that's where we want to start tonight. I want to quote 1 Corinthians 15. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news. It goes something like this. The beginning of the gospel, the eternal storyline of God, the creator, lover, shepherd, savior, counselor, comforter, and king. Out of love and perfect relationship, the Father, Son, and Spirit created the universe and everything in it. Out of chaos is created life and beauty form and function, the vastness of the universe in the intricacy of a single cell, galaxies and oceans, plants and animals, circadian rhythms, nuclear fission, sunsets and laughter. The unique capstone of creativity and with humanity distinctly formed in the image of God and endowed with intrinsic worth and dignity. Adam and Eve enjoyed life as it was meant to be. Intimacy with God and one another, purposeful work and vocation, creativity and cultivation, stewardship and supervision of the whole thing. God spoke, and the world came to be, and God called it good. God breathed into dust, and man came to be, and he called them very good. God, in his sovereignty and love, gave Adam and Eve both freedom and direction. Specifically, they could enjoy the expanse of what had been created, but must refrain from eating the fruit of a specific tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God gave them the capacity and the agency to obey or reject his love, his promises and commands. The accuser, Satan, a created angelic being who himself had rebelled against God, tempted Adam and Eve with a taste of doubt, infusing the notion that God indeed had been holding out on them, that there was more. They bit into the temptation, and immediately their eyes were opened to the nakedness of body and soul. Intimacy gave way to hiddenness, guilt and shame. In grace, they were cast out of the perfect garden before they could eat of another tree, the tree of life, and thus be stuck in this state of fallenness forever. With disobedience came the consequences of the fall, an inheritance of sin, and death, and destruction, and disease, violence, pain, and hopelessness. Evil had been unleashed, and yet not all was lost. God had a plan for redemption, and it would be costly. East of Eden, the whole storyline of scripture is this thread that weaves all of history and points toward the promised Messiah, the servant King Jesus, the rescue from slavery, the Mosaic law, the priesthood, the sacrificial system of atonement, the tabernacle and temple, the throne of the kings and their kingdoms, the words of the prophets and the song of the worshipers. All of it points toward Christ. Despite God's promises and provision and presence, the people of Israel keep wandering away from him, away from his calling. They buy into the same distorted truth that their ancestors had believed, that God could not be trusted. Tempted by idols and self-sufficiency, the people of Israel became trapped in their sin and eventually enslaved by their enemies. But throughout history, two things remained. God's tenacious pursuit of his people and his promise to redeem humanity through the death and resurrection of his son. After 400 years of silence, a <clears throat> baby's cry from a stable broke open the door of hope. And Jesus, the king of kings and creator of everything, put on the confines of humanity and was born in a stable. The shepherds get the birth announcement, good news of great joy for all people. Jesus, completely God and completely man, grew up in a rural village and at the age of 30 began his ministry and the crux of his message was repent, turn around, the kingdom of heaven is broken through. Indeed it's here. For three years Jesus and his disciples walked the dusty roads and proclaimed that demonstrated the kingdom, the ways and means of God. He taught and miraculously fed large crowds. He healed the sick and diseased, the blind and the lame. He raised the dead. He wept. He laughed. He experienced every temptation that haunts humanity and yet without sin. He befriended the sinner and enraged the pious, which led to his brutal beating and gruesome death on a cross. The cross didn't just happen to Jesus, it was why he came. It was the only way for the curse to be reversed, for sin to be conquered, for death to be killed. Jesus, the perfect lamb, the atoning sacrifice, the only one who could carry the weight of sin and the brokenness of humanity and substitute his death for ours. On a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem, Jesus died. The cross was not the end of the story. A couple of mornings later, the resurrected Jesus walked out of the tomb. His followers couldn't believe it at first, but when they saw him with their own eyes and believed with such conviction that each of them would suffer and die because of their association to the truth of the resurrection. Jesus promised he would send the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who would reside within them, empowering them to live a life of devotion to God. The Spirit came and the church was launched the collection of people saved by grace and now have a living and eternal hope. Jesus promised that he will return, that he will judge the living and the dead, that he will restore heaven and earth, that sin and death will be destroyed, that pain and suffering will be eliminated, that those who have put their trust in him will be with him forever. That's the promise. That's where all of this is going, the restoration of all things. So here we are, awaiting the second advent. In between resurrection and return, we expectantly wait and say, "Come, Lord Jesus." But God waits as well. Second Peter says that God is not slow in keeping his promises. He's patient not wanting anybody to miss out on this good news. Romans says that his kindness leads to repentance and to the only kind of sufficient grace, the only truly sufficient theme to your story. The God who descends also pursues runs to, dies for, and this God expectantly awaits our response to his love. So here we are, in in between, in between resurrection and the restoration of all things, to live as people of the king and of his kingdom who are transformed, and yet we still live in a world that is scarred, that is broken, we know personally the effects. This reality forms our posture. It informs our thoughts and our action, our empathy and joy, our resources and relationships, our time and truth. We are called to live differently in the world, but not of it, Jesus said, as a way, in a way that reflects him and his kingdom. This is our calling. This is our purpose. This is our joy. Everything is from him and through him and for him. That's the story. So the angel's song to the shepherds keeps reverberating throughout history. Don't fear. We bring good tidings, good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news. The gospel is the freedom and healing that comes through the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It enables us to live sanely in a world that has gone crazy. The gospel is incredibly honest about why the world is so chaotic. It explains why there are diseases and car accidents and wars and funerals and dysfunctional families. It understands our loneliness and isolation, our susceptibility to sin. It doesn't ignore the darkness of injustice, in poverty, addiction, and brokenness, and racism. On the contrary, it shines the purest form of light on them, light that not only exposes the vulgarity, but brings the hope of truth and grace. The gospel doesn't gloss over your past and my past whether things we have done or things done to us. But it does rescue us from the, the cramped cell of suppression into the vast freedom of being known and loved by the king of the universe. The gospel message isn't that God tolerates you. God doesn't tolerate you. God loves you deeply. It's not if Not if you get your crap together. Not if you believe enough good things to offset the bad. Not if anything. But because. Because he is love. So until we believe the story, not just believe it cognitively with our heads, but viscerally with our whole being. Not just to know it. Not just to tell it, but to actually live into the story of grace. Then evangelism will be something that we reluctantly do and cease to become the essence of who we really are. There's only one compulsion, according to Paul. It is Christ's love that compels us. We're convinced that one died and therefore all died in that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him that's the compulsion when we see ourselves in the shadow of the cross we are leveled and we will never be the same again that's the story we have to recapture the essence of the gospel but the gospel has to recapture us tim keller said so we want to live it We want to experience it. We want to find our story in His story. And it is uniquely your story. And we tell it from whatever page we find ourselves. The good and the bad and everything in between. And so, what is your story? On your seat, we put a... That question on a sheet of paper and some prompts. We want to spend some time reflecting on our story. I went to a Bible college, and in that Bible college, I took a class on evangelism, and in that class on evangelism, I learned some good things, but I also learned some things that were fairly toxic. And one of those, I think, rather unfortunate toxicities was you needed to create a testimony, a three-minute version and a 30-second version so that at any given time, you'd be able to whip that testimony out and save some poor soul with your story. It's like, it's a little too glossy for me. It's a little too manipulative. We're not going for gloss, friends. We're going for the reality of our lives being shaped by Jesus. What has shaped your life? Where was Jesus in the middle of it? What have been some of your doubts and questions in the midst of struggles and hardships? What have you learned through them about God's faithfulness and grace? What's He doing now, not at some church camp your junior year in high school? Have you ever had a difficult time receiving His grace or believing that He could actually love you? What fears and failures have encircled you in the past, and what about now? How does the reality of God's grace and unconditional love free us from wearing masks? Have we kept our suffering, our pain, up on the shelf, out of reach, because for some reason in our minds that it has become twisted to think that that's a bad witness? Instead of That's actually what God uses (laughs) to be able to come alongside someone else. Where does your story fit into this epic story? How does it reflect His grace and truth, His compassion, His calling? How does His story of love and grace reframe, listen to this, how you see yourself, your identity? your purpose, your calling. How is this hitting you emotionally, viscerally, and not just cognitively, not just intellectually? It's a lot of questions. Would you pick a couple of those? And we're just going to have some reflection time built in right here. Just sit. Reflect on this gospel story that is the best news you could ever, ever receive. I love this verse from Second Corinthians chapter one. Says he comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. That's what we're talking about. To come alongside, to comfort others with the comfort that we've been given, to enter with others into the questions that we have asked and into the struggles that we've struggled to sit with others in the grief that we have experienced and to rejoice with others when the kingdom breaks in to come alongside Acts 1:8 talks about these concentric circles he says this is Jesus after the resurrection, before he ascends to the Father. And he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you in power. And you will be my witnesses, starting in Jerusalem, and then Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. These concentric circles. And you see that played out in the book of Acts. And we'll talk about that tomorrow morning. I can't wait. But for now, think about you will be my witnesses. It's not about going witnessing. It's about being a witness. It's about sharing what you've seen, what you've experienced from whatever page you are on. It's not learning a bunch of information to regurgitate. It is sharing the story in real time about this real God who really got a hold of you. So we can bring our whole self into that, right? First John 1, That's, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Band people, would you come up? We're going to worship some more, but I want to I close out this particular session with some scripture around sharing this good news. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not just with words, but with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Jesus, after the resurrection, he comes alongside these two guys on the road to Emmaus. Emmaus was their home. And they'd been in Jerusalem, and they had seen Jesus crucified. He literally comes up alongside them. And he says, what you talking about? And they said, are you the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard? (laughs) And he said, heard what? And then they said, with grief, we had banked on this Jesus being the one. He was the Messiah. He was... He was the one who was going to rescue us, who was going to deliver us. And then he was crucified. And and what makes things even more confusing, some of his followers came this morning and said that they had seen him risen from the dead. And it says that Jesus, starting with the Old Testament, unpacked all of these prophecies in this thread that was woven throughout God's story to show that he was the fulfillment, that Jesus was it. He was the one. He connects the dots. And they get to his house. He gets to their house. And He's like going to go ahead, keep walking. They said, it's getting late. Come in and dine with us. So he says, sure. Jesus was always inviting himself into people's homes to eat. He sits down with them. And it was as he broke the bread that their eyes were opened and they saw who it really was. I love that. He comes alongside. He connects the dots. And then their eyes were open, And they realize that they are in the exact presence of Jesus. And then there's this verse that says, we're not our hearts burning. (laughs) We knew something was up. And they sprint the miles back to Jerusalem to say, we've seen him. That's not going witnessing. That's being a witness. That's sharing the story. That is good news that is too good to keep quiet. So, would you stand? I want to just read the Psalm 18 over us as we continue to worship together says god made my life complete when i i placed all the pieces of my story before him he gave me a fresh start and now i i am so alert to god's ways i don't take god for granted every day i review the way he works i review the good news i i i keep this epic story in the front of my mind and in the depths of my heart. I can't get enough of it because it is the only truth. <laughs> I feel put back together. I'm keeping it in step. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eye. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. Saint Ignatius. He gave a prayer called the prayer of holy indifference. And the prayer is simply to open our hands and to open our hearts and to ask the Lord for the ability to trust him, come what may. (laughs) To trust his will, to trust his story, to not have our own agendas, To not have our own playlist, but to listen to his music. It's the prayer of indifference. And here's the really cool thing about this prayer is that would you just would you just do this please? This is this is the posture of worship. This is the posture that both gives and receives. And when we come to him and surrender and say, this is my story that I am giving back to you. This is who I am. This is, I am surrendering it all to you, Jesus. That is the act of faith. That is an act of trust. And my guess is that a lot of us are coming in tonight and it's hard to trust. Jesus encountered this dad whose kid was afflicted by an evil spirit. He says, would you do something? And Jesus said, all things are possible for those who believe. And the, the dad says, I believe, help me in my unbelief. That is, that is the prayer of holy indifference. <laughs> that is the posture of surrender. And here's a really cool thing. It's like not only is this the, the open-handedness to let go of what we're grasping, but that's also the posture to receive. What are you hanging on to tonight? What do you want to let go? What do you need to let go of in order to receive what he really has for you? So, can we worship? Can we sing these songs with this prayer of holy indifference? Jesus, will you have your way with us tonight? Will you impress this epic story on our hearts? Let's pray open handed. Let's worship open handed. Ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.